Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Called Bank, where we discuss the upcoming Miami Lakers um, playoffs because we all know that no teams come back down come back from being down three one. So I mean, who do you have in the in the finals, Dale? Do you think Miami or do you think that Los Angeles is going to pull it out? I think it's going to be uh, the Phoenix Suns versus the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, both teams have really showed me that uh, like they're really performers. They come out to compete, so I think it'll be a good finals. I mean, what we have learned this offseason is that you should never count anyone out. After watching Portland barely get in, having the Suns almost make it, you know, Denver going down to the wire back to back and setting themselves up for if they want to make it another 3-1 win. Like, this has just been a super exciting postseason. Um, Obviously, the Lakers have made it this far. Um, People might have expected the Celtics to make it this far or might... um, but other than that, like the, I mean, I would only argue three of the four teams are just unexpected teams to be here. And it's super exciting to, you know, kind of in the East Coast still have a chance and have a chance for history to be made in the wet, uh, in the East, in the Western Conference. If it's crazy what the Nuggets have done, because if they can even, even if they don't win the series, but if they can take it to a game seven, that means like their last five series have been game sevens. If if they can take the Lakers, that would be uh, this one. Then the other two series so far in this playoffs. And then if you count back, they took Portland to a Game 7 and lost. And the Spurs took them to a Game 7, and then but Denver won that Game 7 in last year's playoffs. So uh, something about this team, they just really like long playoff series. Yeah, and if that were to happen, I mean, you'd have Miami who is going into the finals with one of the best playoff winning percentages of all time. And then you'd have, if Denver pulled it out in seven games, you'd have Denver going into the finals with the worst playoff winning percentage you can go into the finals with. Like, I mean, that just would be what it was. So, I mean, we all think LA is going to pull it out, but a week and a half ago, we literally said the exact same thing where we thought that LA was going to make it. So while we shouldn't count out the Nuggets, I think that, you know, game four on Friday night, really, sorry, on Thursday night just really showed why LA, the Lakers, are just better than the Jazz and better than the Clippers. Because while they did let Denver get back into it, they definitely, like, still were there, still running their offense. They didn't go to hero ball. And that was something that the Jazz did a lot, and I love Donovan Mitchell, but they do need to find a way to not have the last seven minutes of the game be, be him going one-on-five um, in in situations like that. So, I mean, LA definitely has shown this series why they're an amazing team, and we'll see if they can lock that up here in the next game or if it's going to take a couple more. Yet. It's interesting to watch. Um, I think the big difference between the Lakers and the other teams that the Nuggets have played is the Lakers really know how to close out a game. Um, because a lot of the games in all the series that the Nuggets have played in were really close games. And in this Lakers series, most of the games were pretty close. But um, that Lakers team, they have enough talent to close out and hit big shots and... Yeah, you, we, you saw that with the Anthony Davis buzzer beater and then 
just when it comes down to the last couple minutes of the game, um, I just feel like LA is more confident and more energized than the Nuggets. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if they come in, just win next game and then go on to the finals. But like you said, never count the Nuggets out. It is crazy to think when you talk about that buzzer beater and you look at the last game, just like how a few bounces of the ball differently and, you know, we're looking at 3-1 Denver lead. Since, I mean, obviously, like when you're in the position to hit a game winner, like you've kept yourself in the game, you've been in the right spot, and it was lucky getting down to that point, but offensive boards have been what have... I mean, killed a lot of teams in this offseason, in in this um, postseason. The Jazz lost to the Nuggets because of offensive boards down the stretch. I mean, you look at that, um, you look at that Davis buzzer beater. That was the third shot from three in under 20 seconds that the Lakers got to try to win that game. They got one offensive board, one block, and then got the Davis one at the buzzer. So, And then looking at the game last night where, I mean, Miami shot dismally from three, made five less, shot 21%, made five less threes than Boston, you know, lost by 12 points. So when you look at five, making five less threes and shooting that dismally, I mean, that's the game, but I think it was 13 to seven on offensive boards. And when it's 13 to seven on offensive boards and you look at that, I mean, that Boston got up seven more shots than Miami. When you're both shooting just over 45% from the field in that game, like those extra seven shots are what's are what wins it. So Miami just didn't get the boards and didn't hit enough threes and got destroyed last night in what could have been cl- a clincher. That actually brings up an interesting point uh, because... Um, coming into the bubble and in the bubble, um, there's a lot of talk about how the NBA center is dead, how the position just isn't going to be as important. And this was all based around what the Rockets did, how they just didn't have a center on their roster. Their tallest player was like his original position in the NBA was a small forward and he kind of transitioned over to power forward. And so everyone's talking about how this is going to be the new kind of basketball. But if you look at the NBA final, uh, the conference finals right now, um, the Lakers, they play big. They have um, Anthony Davis is kind of a different kind of center. That's why a lot of times he plays power forward because he can handle and shoot. But then they have um, JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard, who are both just old school centers. Um, they're both athletic, but they're like, they can't really shoot. They don't really bring other stuff to the table except for playing down low and then you look at the Nuggets who have Nikola Jokic and he is a different kind of center because he he can pass the ball and he has a pretty good jumper uh, but he's he makes a big deal like he he can get down low get those rebounds defensively and then like a, what people have been talking about with Boston all year is their only weakness is at the center position, that if they just had a better center, then they would probably be the favorites in the East. And now they're facing a team like Miami against Bam Adebayo, who 
he is a little short for a center, but he is really beating up the Celtics. And that's one of the big reasons why the Heat are in the position that they are is because of their center. So after this, it may be that centers are even more valued in the NBA than they were coming into the playoffs. So pushing that point a bit farther, though, um, I just found an article on ESPN. It's called Wire Teams Board with Boards by Zach Lowe. And this is from January 2016. And I mean, transition defense has all but like taken over going after offensive boards. Like they feel like getting back is more important. So, and that was something that I really felt like I started seeing in like 2018, just watching no one box out and everyone just run back to the other side. So I'm really interested to see kind of how that's impacted offensive boards since I feel like in part it's got people, it's got players more sloppy on box outs, box outs for defensive boards. So I do wonder how much, you know, the offensive boards come down to the center or how much they come down to, you know, more athletic players kind of hanging back and slipping in when no one's boxing out. Since I feel like that's something in the NBA that's just because of the three-point shot and how much and how much more common it's come to run down the court and pull up from 25 feet, how how that's impacted the lack of effort on the defensive slash offensive board end, just in general. Yeah, that would be interesting to look at because you see players like uh, Russell Westbrook doesn't do it as much anymore, but Russell Westbrook and James Harden, um, they're known to be triple-double machines. Uh, Luka Doncic, um, he's more of like a small forward size, but he kind of plays point for the Mavericks. He's a triple-double machine. So when you have your one of your shorter players be the leader in rebounds, that might be part because people are getting lazy boxing out. So I wonder if a team just takes it down to the very fundamentals and they box out every possession, if um, that would be more effective than getting back in transition. Um, I guess you'd have to look at like what players you have and if you feel like, like you'd have to look at the percentage of stops that you get when you go back in transition versus the percentage of times you get an offensive rebound. And because like a lot of times an NBA basketball game comes down to how many more possessions you have. So um, if you get back on defense and a team's shooting 45%, then you can feel this around a 45% chance of them scoring on that possession. Uh, While if you don't get back on defense and they get the rebound, then there's a much higher chance, but then there's also a chance that you get an extra possession. So, that would be a really interesting analytic to dig deep into. And I wonder if those, um, like Daryl Morey, who's known for his analytics, if he's uh, looking at something like that. Yeah, I I totally get what you're saying. I really wonder, though, at least when you look at teams like, I don't think you ever want to have a healthy Golden State or a healthy Houston Rockets team like pushing the ball out in transition. I don't think that's something that you want just because they become so much more lethal when you when you're not planted in front of them. I mean, they're already insane at getting the points that they do and just insanely efficient. So once they're in transition, 
I mean, and you're on your heels, like it's not going to end well for you. But then, I mean, there are maybe teams that it would be much more beneficial to be going for that offensive board. Um, if you're not as worried about them in transition and you feel like you're capable of taking them on, but I guess it really looks like it comes down to the quality of the offense that you feel you're facing then on whether or not you should go for offensive boards or whether or not you should just get back. Yeah. And I wonder if teams like the Rockets would want to just only box out since they've already gone all in on offense and they've left their defensive side pretty wide open. Um, I wonder if it's just like more valuable for them to get an extra possession than try to get an extra stop when it's less likely for them to get a stop. Um, So just put all their effort on offense and just trust that they can outscore teams. I have to think that there's a reason they've shifted to transition defense and that it's not just laziness. I just wonder though, how much you can explore if there are just better teams at explode at exploiting that laziness since, I mean, you can't tell me that Russell Westbrook and James Harden are getting, you know, triple doubles because they're boxing out the big, the power forwards and the small forwards. They're getting it because they're skying in. And so I think that that's, what's more important is just, making sure that you're always like aware of who's around you and who's coming. But it's just, I mean, it's just something that's hard enough to do when like boxing out is something that a lot of players struggle with, even if you have someone to put a body on. So if you don't have someone to put a body on and you have to know where they're coming from, like that just sounds really difficult for me. Yeah. It's, it's interesting though. Like, basketball has changed and so like the fundamentals that we've all learned our entire lives um they might not work anymore uh that's something weird to think about but uh, because like all your life you you saw like the spurs and a tim duncan was mr fundamental and they just like did the right basketball play as a team and it was really pretty to watch in their prime um but with the way basketball is moving if it keeps moving the direction it is some of those strategies might not actually be fundamental anymore. So just you talked a bit about um, Daryl Morey. So I started looking up the Mike D'Antoni stuff that I, since I'd heard a bit. So, I mean, this is just an NBC article. I'm not sure how valid you can actually um, go with it, but it says rumor 76ers could hire Mike D'Antoni to lure James Harden. Interesting. So I have a question for you. If James Harden went to 76ers, to the 76ers, can you even have Ben Simmons on that team? Or does Ben Simmons need to go? Um, I would actually, I would want to keep Ben Simmons. Um, and I would probably look to trade Embiid to get stronger wing players, uh, like, like 3 and D guys around him. Uh, and I would play Ben Simmons as a power forward um yeah i'm like ben simmons could still bring the ball down and facilitate and because he's a versatile player so there's a lot you can do with him uh, when harden's off the court um or even if you could get harden to play off ball and see that get him to be efficient then ben simmons could be effective bringing the ball down but um watching ben simmons play power forward is i I think it's been really effective the times that I've seen him do it. Um, he he has 
decent post moves. He knows how to score down there. And he's big enough that he can post up a lot of the guys in the NBA. Um, the tough part, though, is with Mike D'Antoni. Like, he he wants everyone to be able to shoot threes. Uh, his best team was with um, Steve Nash. And he just had Steve Nash, a bunch of three-pointers, and Amari Stoudemire. And Amari Stoudemire, you, uh, you didn't really see him shoot threes, but he could at least sh- shoot mid-range, so... Do you think that D'Antoni could get Simmons to like take that shot? Do you think D'Antoni has enough respect in this league and would be able to like have that respect from Simmons to get him to go? Or do you think that at this point it's like, you know, Anthony Davis's monobrow, like Ben Simmons won't be shooting the three for the rest of his time in the NBA. Just like Anthony Davis won't be shaving. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, that one is really just comes down to the relationship and um, how much respect Ben Simmons has. I feel like Ben Simmons, um, he might be a tougher player to coach in that regard because um, I I think he's confident with his game and he likes his game and he knows that he can make a difference on the NBA court with how he plays. And so he would, uh, like, whoever's coaching him, if... Him shooting a three is absolutely necessary to the system. That coach would have to sell him hard on that system. And um, I, I feel like Mike D'Antoni might be able to do that. He's he's a player's coach. He knows how to work with uh, superstars. And, um, and like every superstar has their own ego because they are great and they know they're great. And so to be a great coach, you need to be able to work with that to get them their ego to fit into the team concept. And that's where a lot of great teams come in. When you look at the, uh, some of the greatest teams in NBA history, there are a bunch of players with big egos, but the coach is able to come in, let them get them to put their ego to the side enough to play within the team concept. And then they go and win 60 games. So, well, I'm going to make some harsh critical, um, harsh and critical character judgments of Ben Simmons right now, at least as a basketball player. I I totally get that. I don't know him. I just have a hard time believing that Ben Simmons is good at taking constructive criticism and that Ben Simmons is like, has an understanding that in order to improve, you're going to and become better. You're, you might look like a fool at times since the only reason I can imagine that he doesn't shoot a three pointer is that he doesn't want to feel humiliated on the court, which I get totally sucks. But at the same time, like that's really like where the league's going. Even if you move him to power forward, I mean, he instantly becomes more of an asset, even if he's only 30% from three. Like if you actually have to be worried about him hitting one, that entirely changes how you guard him. So I really just feel like he's going to die a slow death in this NBA that he's just, I wonder just how much longer people are going to talk about his potential since, I mean, you have like solid players right now who people are talking about that they're dying in the NBA because they can't make a three pointer. Like Russell Westbrook needs to be able to get a three pointer. DeMar DeRozan needs to be able to make a three pointer. Um, Like that's just how the NBA is. And those old school, I mean, I don't know if you can call Westbrook old school, but 
Like, he's not scary from downtown. And neither is DeRozan. If DeRozan had the game at the rim that he has, plus his mid-range, plus just, like, you know, 33, 34% from three, nothing insane, but, like, the threat, that would just instantly open up the court for him so much more. But the lack of those things just really makes those players, like, mid-tier superstars, like, good players, but players who are never really going to take the next step. I do feel like um, a lot of people get too caught up in the system of things, how James Harden can only be effective with like surrounded by shooters playing small ball where he's um, isolation like 80% of the time. Um, But I don't think we've seen a team win an NBA championship that has been like hyper-focused on a system, specifically a system focused around like one superstar. And so I'm I'm curious if like you could get a James Harden and a Ben Simmons together or a James Harden and a Joel Embiid together and the system that everyone imagines around James Harden, um, like Simmons and Embiid don't really fit with that system. Embiid might a little bit more than Simmons, but Embiid's not the fastest player and you imagine a team with James Harden is a pretty quick team. Um, but I wonder if, if you get the right coach in there um, who can work with that and work around it and use maybe not use each player to the maximum of their abilities, but when they're worth the team, like using the team to the maximum of their abilities, like you may see Ben Simmons become a super valuable asset because he can guard positions one through five. And if... Um, maybe he doesn't have the best shot, but if he's still getting you 20 points a game because he knows how to drive and then he posts up a few times, like um, that's a valuable player as long as he's efficient, right? And so maybe the offense won't be as spread as it could be, but if you have Ben Simmons and uh, four other shooters out there, uh, that looks kind of like the Bucks' offense where if you have Ben Simmons bringing the ball down, he's kind of like the Giannis for that team. And then the offense, the middle would be wide open for Ben Simmons to do what he wants. And then, or if you have James Harden on that team as well, he can I, he can play his iso ball. And I don't think the court needs to be super wide open for him to do anything. Like he can get a shot outside and he finds, like, because people are so scared of his step back, he's able to get the his first step on them and drive to the basket. And then if you have enough other shooters, you can kick out or another player can cut in at that moment and he can dish to them and i feel like there's like it wouldn't be what the rockets are doing now but i feel like there's some systems that you could really make work uh with that team and if if you get the right players around those two stars yeah i think that what d'antoni did and what um maury did was probably just a bit ahead of their time i think once you get um to you know the players who since you have players who can hit 40% from three, like it exists. And I really think now when you look at the fact that like high schoolers and middle schoolers are growing up in the Steph Curry, Dame Lillard, like era, that they're just going to be that much more lethal from three in the next five to eight years, like Trey Young is. So I, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see when a Dan Tony style system becomes a lot more um viable just like how in the NBA, in the NFL it is starting to look like a more um you know Bruce Arians like style air raid offense is becoming more viable and 
So we're going to see what happens here, but it's been a super great week for sports. And I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing who clinches their finals berth this week and who we're going to see fight for glory in Orlando. Yeah, it'll be good. Um, this has been another episode of the called bank podcast. Thank you for joining us. Um, we would really appreciate it if you would uh, rate and follow us on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on. It will really help us grow. And we come back with weekly content every week focused around the jazz, but there wasn't much to talk about the jazz this week. So we talked about the NG in general. Hope that's okay with you, but um, hope to see you next, next week.